I'd like to welcome everybody to this week's podcast, Parshas Korach. This week's episode, again, is dedicated in memory of Mr. Harold Pasternak, Herschel Ben David, father of our good friend Michael Pasternak. May it be an elevation for his neshama. Parshas Korach, we come across the rebellion of Korach and his followers against Moshe. The Torah tells us that Korach took some of his some of his his co-religious his people from his own shape tri- own shevet his own tribe and from the people of the tribe of Ruvain, Dosan and Aviram and Own Ben Peles and he came and he challenged Moshe's authority. Now though he he claimed that he was coming on behalf of everybody else, that the whole the whole he said call the entire congregation are holy. What gives you the right of raising yourself more than anybody else? What what gives you the right to be able to take leadership position for yourself? The rabbis tell us, in truth, he was jealous of the position. He felt that he was a little snubbed when he was overlooked, when he gave the position of the Kohen Gadol to his brother Aaron. Even the even the Nasi, the prince of the tribe of Levi, was given to his other cousin, Elitzaf ben Oziel. And he felt he was jealous of the fact that that Moshe had taken these leadership positions for himself and for the people that he chose. And therefore he challenged Moshe's authority. Interestingly enough, although Moshe was the most humble man upon the face of the earth, as the Torah tells us a couple weeks ago, over here, Moshe stands up very, very strongly to defend his honor. And the rabbis explain the reason for that is because the challenge against Moshe was not just against the personage Moshe, it wasn't even only against the position of Moshe. It was against the whole authority of the Torah. Because Moshe received the Torah from Hashem directly and passed it on to the Jewish people. And everybody understood that what Moshe told them is exactly what he heard from the Almighty. And therefore, when Korach's going to go ahead and challenge the authority of Moshe, in effect, he's challenging the entire authority of the Torah. How do we know anything that you say is true? You're claiming that you heard it all directly from Hashem. How do we know that's true? If we don't believe you, if we can't trust you, that you took the position that you didn't, that they did took position for yourself, maybe you did everything else. Well, all the other, other commandments and things you gave us are also on something that you took for yourself, that you made up your own on your own. And for that reason, therefore, Moshe felt the need to tell Korach. At first, he tried to discourage him and tried to have him do tshuva, but fortunately, nothing helped at all. And the Moshe says, "Okay, at this point." Yeah, there has to be a serious punishment. And it says, if Korach and his, and his cohorts will die a natural death, then you know that, I'm not, I'm not, that, that I am not authentic, that you can't really trust me either. However, if a new creation will come about and the earth will open up its mouth and swallow Korach and all their belongings and his group, then you'll see that indeed this is something that is coming from Hashem and that, uh, that he has chosen me, that Almighty has chosen me to be the leader. And for the, for the other followers, he had the 250 followers, he had them being, uh, being uh, incense offerings. And there too, he said, well, see, if Hashem accepts their incense offering, then that shows that's proof that I'm wrong. But if indeed they will be killed, they'll die being the incense offerings, that'll be proof of the authenticity and the correctness of Moshe's authority. And Torah tells us that's exactly what happened. Korach 
as they refused to refused to submit. Remember the entire night it says he was going around telling jokes to everybody. He's telling stories about about people that you know, non-existent stories of uh, people that you know of a poor woman that didn't have any money at all, and she had, all she had is a little bit of a little sheep. And the Kohanim came. They wanted them. They wanted to take the Beishisegez. They wanted the first to take the sheep, the shearings. They want to take the Bechor, the firstborn. And then she had she had produce, and they wanted to take the Chuma, the tithings, and the Meiser, and the gift offerings for the Kohanim for the Levi. And she couldn't get away from anything. If I have desperation, she says, "Okay, let me get, donate the whole thing to the to Hashem." They say, "Okay, great, we get that also." He was making fun of the Quran and making fun of the Levium. The whole, the whole idea was making fun of, of Moshe's, Moshe's Torah and Moshe's ideas. So the Pasi tells us that the following day, Moshe told everybody else to move away from them, and the earth suddenly split open and swallowed Korach and all of their belongings and everything that went down, it went straight down into the earth, into the bowels of the earth. A fire came out also against the 250 people that brought the incense offerings, and it can, and it, it, just, it killed the it consumed the 250 people who were bringing the incense offerings. Rashi tells us an interesting point from the Medrash. Take a look and see the danger of strife, machlokes. Under normal circumstances, although a boy or a girl are obligated in mitzvahs, and they're even liable, accountable in the hands of the court once they reach adulthood, which for a boy is 13 and for a girl is 12 years old. Nevertheless, they're not accountable by the heavenly court until they reach age 20. That that goes for both men and women. In other words, during the teenage years, a person's already outside beyond childhood, so there's some element of obligation and responsibility but they've not reached total adulthood, and therefore they don't, fear, they don't carry full accountability by the hand of God in the heavenly court. Yet here we find that the Torah tells us even the babies, little children and babies in Korach's family were swallowed up into the bowels of the earth too. We don't find any place else that children are accountable or liable for anything, and here we see the children also are punished. So go take a look and see how serious and how severe Machlokas discord and strife is amongst the Jewish people. Let's try to understand that, though. Certainly we understand that strife is very severe, and it's it's dangerous also for that matter. But why is it that little children should be able to be punished in something like that? The fact is, as we said, a child is not obligated in mitzvahs to a barapas mitzvah. So even though there's arguing, there's strife, why should that be worse than any other type of a sin that the child's not accountable for? Why is it that the child is going to be punished so severely by the sin of, for the sin of machlokas, of discord and, 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 and fighting, more than any other type of a sin? Perhaps we can explain it like this. There's a fascinating Meshachachmer, Meir Simcha of Dvinsk. He says an interesting observation in Parshas Beshalach, when the Jewish people, when by the Kriyas Yamsev, when the sea split. He says we find in different types of sins, there are sins between man and man and sins between man and God. The punishments the Torah talks about are primarily for sins between man and God. The sin, the primitive relationships, for example, the dietary laws, the laws of Shabbos, idolatry, these are all sins between man and God and they all carry capital punishments or kores or lashes, you know, some of the 
some of the prohibited relationships and Shabbos, idolatry, carry capital punishments. Other types of relationships carry the punishment of Kore, spiritual disconnection. The dietary laws carry the laws that carry the punishment of lashes. It's interesting to note, though, that sins between man and man rarely get any punishment at all in this world. Sins, let's say, for example, says Lashon Hara, and, 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 and lying and cheating, things like that. Well, the laws of lashes, the punishment of lashes, is only given to somebody who sins with an action. Speech is not considered something which is punishable by the courts down here. Certainly it's punishable in heaven, but not by the courts below. Even theft is not punishable down here in the courts either. The reason for that is because the Torah gives us a positive commandment to rectify it. It can be the stolen article can always be returned. Even if the article no longer exists, you can you can pay compensation for it. You can pay back the money for it, and therefore the punishment for gezel is not nothing. There's no punishment down here besides giving back the lost stolen article. Geneva, certain types of different types of theft, a person steals more more subtly. The Allah problem there is the Allah is that he has to pay double, but nothing more than that though. That seemed to imply that the sins between man are not as severe as the sins between man and God. On the other hand, where the community sins, we find the opposite. We find, for example, the, Torah t- the, the Gemara tells us that the armies of David and Melech, King David, they fell in battle because there was lack of unity amongst themselves. There was sp- Lush and Hara spoken between, amongst the soldiers. And therefore, he was not successful at battle. Whereas the idolatrous armies of Achav, who was a wicked king, they were successful. Because although they were served they served idolatry, but there was peace amongst them. Now it seemed to imply that sins between man and man are more severe than sins between man and God. Similarly, the first base Simigdashi notes was destroyed because of the three cardinal sins of Judaism. Idolatry, adultery, murder, Sins between man and God. And although the base midrash was destroyed, but it was rebuilt after 70 years. The second base midrash, on the other hand, was destroyed because of a lack of peace, because of strife amongst the Jewish people. Sins between man and man. And that's like, that temple has not yet been rebuilt. Again implying that sins between man and man are worse and more severe than sins between man and God. We find similarly the generation of the flood they committed the most, the worst sins possible. Yet, the Torah tells us that the decree was not leveled against them to be destroyed until theft became rampant. Even the generation of Dorafloga, the generation that built the, built the Tower of Bavel, which was a sin between man and God, despite the fact that they lost a portion of the world to come, they were, not, they were not punished with death in this world. Dispersion, yes, but not death because there was unity. Whereas by the generation of flood, where there was theft, there wasn't even unity at all. And therefore the generation of flood lost their lives, both in this world and the world to come. So it's a little bit of a little interesting dichotomy. On one hand, we see as far as the punishments are concerned, that the punishment for sins between man and God seemed to be worse and more severe than the punishments between man and man. On the other hand, we find in certain areas, that the sins between man and man seem to be more severe than those between man and God. The Meshachachim resolves this dichotomy as follows. He says, the truth is, 
sins between man and God are more severe than the sins between man and man. However, this, the, the merit of the community, the har- merit of the harmony within the community, that has the power to protect the community from punishment. So therefore, although it's true that the sins between man and God are more severe, but when there's peace amongst the people, that offers some element of protection. When there's strife, however, sins between man and man, then you no longer have the merit of the community because it becomes, it becomes, it becomes divided. The sins between man and man, they can't even unify together at all. When that happens, then the punishments between man and God are able to be released, so to say, and the punishment comes full gamut. So that's why we find, for example, the truth is that David's soldiers were greater, obviously, than the soldiers of Achav. But nevertheless, because they didn't have the power of the merit of the community, that's where they're, that's where they, they're punished. Whereas the, whereas the soldiers of Achav had that going for them. That's how the Meshachachma wants to explain it. With this line of thought, we can perhaps extend it to understanding the punishment of children as well. Although children are generally not accountable for their actual deeds, because as we said before, they're not obligated in mitzvahs, they're not obligated in anything yet, they don't understand things fully. But nevertheless, because they're part of the community, they can still be included in the collective punishment of the community because children are also part of the community. And therefore, when the, when the punishment against the community, the collective community is unleashed, indeed, children can be punished then also. If there is harmony in the community, so then there is the protective measure, the protective umbrella of the community, and therefore, that can be the, only the people that would sin would be punished. But it's a, it serves, serves as a protection of everybody else. When there's strife, however, we lose that collective protection. And when that happens, even the children could also be punished. They're not being punished for their own sins because, as I said, they're not obligated. But they lose the protection of the collective community, and for that reason, they're going to be punished. And they'll, they'll be the, the, the casualties of the collective punishment against the community. We find a similar idea that the rabbis talk about that when, when the permission is given to the to the satan amashchis to the to the destroying angel, some shuvin amavchim being tov Sometimes he will not be discerning at all between the righteous and between the wicked. Once he's given permission to destroy, he'll continue on, and every, everybody can be affected by it, even the righteous people too. That might be true only, however, when there's when there when you lack the protection of the of the of the collective, the collective community. When you have the collective community together, then there's a protection for the righteous people. And they don't have to worry about that, the, the, the satan amashchis, the destroying angel. When there's something, when there's no collective peace, then indeed everybody has to be concerned. And Shuvin Amavchin doesn't draw any distinctions between those who are righteous and those who are wicked. They can all be affected by it. However, when you have the protective measure, then there's a special, special protection given to those people who are not guilty. That's the reason why even the babies and young children over here were punished with the with the community, with the families of followers of Korach. Because that's what Rashi says, see the severity of dis, of strife. When there's strife, even little children who are not obligated in mitzvahs could also be punished. There can also be casualties 
of the community because of the, of the of the severity of the challenge against Moshe. Perhaps they themselves wouldn't have been they wouldn't have been punished for their rebelliousness against Moshe, but because of the fact that there was this divisiveness and they no longer had the power, the protective measure of the community, the little children would also be punished in this case too. It gives us something to think about about the importance of importance of peace, importance of shalom in the community. Shalom is the, is the name of God. Everybody tells us that Shalom is one of Hashem's holy names. And the reason for that is because the concept itself of Shalom, the concept of peace, is something that's not only is it something beneficial for the world, not only beneficial in the relationship with God, but it's beneficial also because it serves as a protective measure from punishment for sin when there's Shalom, when there's unity amongst the Jewish people. How much we have to strive to be able to maintain that sense of shalom amongst us peace. And then the Almighty says, when there is peace amongst the Jewish people, I will place my name upon the Jewish people, and I'll give them the eternal blessing at that point in time too. Have a great Shabbos, and we hope to see you again next week. Ever think about starting your own podcast? The Maverick Podcasting Network makes creating and running your podcast easy and fun. Visit maverickpodcasting.com to get started today.